Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're in the food space. Allison Kane is on, founder of Haven's Kitchen. Some of you probably know her from her work around New York City. And I mean, in this space, she's been in now over 12 years. But I mean, you're going to love hearing her stories from, you know, cooking school to a cafe to like consumer products and getting those into retail stores. We're going to cover it all in the next 20, 30 minutes. So excited that you're here, Allison. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Justin. It's fun to be a guest, not a host. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're a host yourself. So it's so fun when I have people like you on that know this stuff. Like I, as soon as we got on the Zoom, I was like, listen, I don't need to give you any prep. Um, and you, you just know this stuff, right? It's so fun, right? Get to meet a lot yeah. of people. And I'm a founder, so I like to talk about myself. You and you're know? going to, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> this, is where, this is one where you don't have to worry about interviewing the other person. I get to do that for you. Um, but man, we have so many connections in the common in the food space. Um, and I, I can't wait to dive into this, but let's do this first. Allison, for those that may not have met you, how about share a little bit about your background? I mean, it's, you've been in this, the Havens space, Havens Kitchen space for 12 years, mm-hmm. but a little bit about your background before and then how you got into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I always feel like this is very long-winded and I'm still working on my sort of elevator pitch version of myself, but long story short, I had five kids. I turned uh, 38. I decided to go back to school to get a master's in food systems and um, food studies and sustainability. Um, And then in doing that, decided to open a recreational cooking school because home cooking, as it turns out, is sort of the most powerful lever that a consumer can pull for their personal health, community, hunger, farm labor, fair practices, animals, all sorts of sustainability issues. And this was now 2012. We opened a really beautiful cooking school in the heart of New York City, just teaching people how to roast a chicken, make a chimichurri, not burn their rice. Um, but I learned a lot about the the things that get in the way of people cooking, even though they, they have a hunch it's good for them and it's good for their families and it's good for the world. Um, and... About five years in, you know, we had a really thriving cooking school. It was an event space. It was a cafe, like you said. Our students um, continually sort of said the same thing. You know, thank you so much. We're, we're learning so much. Can you please just put these sauces in court containers? And, you know, we now, I can grill a fish. I understand how to, you know, saute some tofu. But sauce just takes a long time. It takes a lot of ingredients. It takes confidence in making the balance, you know, all of the different flavors. And then I make it and it kind of lasts like three days in my fridge. It just, it was so much of the work and the prep and so much of the meal, but I'd prefer if you could just sell what you're teaching us. So, you know, we thought long and hard about it, but we were like, all right, like, well, We'll put our pesto in our chimichurri. We had a Thai peanut sauce, a romesco, a lot of the like the same stuff that we have now um, in core containers. And then as we started thinking about sort of professionalizing it, 
I, because of my sustainability background, I leaned into pouches because they're just a much more sustainable option for packaging. Um, and then we went to the fancy food show in 2017. Fortunately for us, John Lawson from Whole Foods and Fresh Direct, our e-com, um, tri-state area and beyond partner, um, came over to the booth and they loved them. And then we had to figure out how to, you know, make them big kid style, which took <laughs> us a while. Um, and, you know, that was 2018, five years later, we're in 3000 stores with the fresh. We're launching a whole new shelf stable product line um, oh. next year. And uh, it's been, it's been a wild ride. That's exciting. Okay. So um mm -hmm. You, you hit all the high points. Now I'm going to dive into the details with you. Right. So, um, so five kids. Oh my God. Um, so yeah. was that the impetus to say, you know what, I want to, I want to have a hobby or I have this, was it more of a business idea at that time? You know, no, my kids, it's funny. My kids always make fun of me because they remember <laughs> the dinner where we sat down and I, yeah. and I was, you know, I was so jazzed up for all of my, my classes and part of my master's program, I had to have an internship and my oh, internship, which was like, you know, obviously like the plot of like a ridiculous movie, like, <laughs> woman with five kids under 11 has to get an internship see what right. happens next but i did end up getting this internship at the farmer's market in union teaching at the what they called the education station Got and it. i had been teaching people in my home and in, in, you know in college even like cooking forever i didn't think of that as a career sure. necessarily um but yeah i mean i remember sitting down to dinner and being like you know what one day mommy's going to open a cooking school. And literally they were like the next week you would like lease a space, hired a team, opened a thing, done a thing like, wow. you know, one day. So, um, okay. I wasn't even really thinking of it as a business. Candidly, I was thinking of it as a way to essentially give to the causes in the food policy world that were, you know, really compelling to me without having to start a nonprofit because I had done nonprofit work and I really find it awful. So I, it, it was more of a feeder for, you know, things that I believed in at that point than it was, uh, you know, a business. Got it. But, and yeah. so you launched the cooking school and cafe and were you focused on certain foods, you know, in the cooking school? Mm -hmm. And how did you find people to come to the cooking school or was it word of mouth at early days? Yeah. You know what? I mean, thank goodness. We, uh, we had a New York times little blurb the week that we opened. And from that day on, I kid you not, we had never a class without a wait list. Wow. It was, there was just so, you know, I look back and this was like right when Instagram was getting started, right, right when the Brooklyn food scene was getting started, right when Michael Pollan had written Omnivore's Dilemma, all of these sort of tailwinds for home cooking, right? you know, that I was just sort of, you know, part of and kind of swept up in as well. And you take the three of those things, culinary tourism, I want global flavors, but I don't necessarily feel like confident going into specialty shops and buying lemongrass or curry leaf but right. wouldn't it be fun to be able to like add that to my repertoire you know all so we were never it was never positioned as one type of cuisine we were always focused on international you know we had 
experts from all around the world come and teach classes. I mean, even like make your own tofu with like a Buddhist monk who would come to teach. Like it was so much fun, but the sourcing was very much about local. So, you know, it was always about supporting your food system, supporting local agriculture, but doing it with global flavors and in a way that makes you kind of jazzed about what you're making. Yeah. Well, and you were doing something you were passionate about. Mm -hmm. I don't have to say, I don't know what I, I, I'm not an expert on lemongrass or curry leaf. So I'd have to take a class to, to understand. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) nobody is. And that's the thing, you know, like everyone has a repertoire home cooks, you know, you make chicken, you make maybe steak, you make some tofu, you have a salmon night. Maybe if you're very daring, you try another type of fish. Most people don't. Right. And, and, you know, so people were starting to look for how do I make this not boring? And a lot of what stops people from cooking is that they just, they're just, they're bored and their family's bored and they feel bad and they put the same salmon teriyaki dinner, you know, (laughs) in front, you know, it's not a, it's not a satisfying feeling. So maybe if I made that a peanut sauce, right. Ooh, all of a sudden, but the, but the peanut sauces that were available to them felt very far away at that time. Now you have a big global flavor sort of, you know, I guess, you know, acceptance um, among sort of more conventional retailers, but you didn't back then at all. It was like early days. Um, Yeah. All right. I'm fast forwarding a bit. Six years later, you decide to launch product. And of course, I'm Mm -hmm. guessing, you know, the different sauces. And by the way, you can check out havenskitchen.com. Fresh Mm -hmm. sauce packed with bold flavor. Or did you have like red pepper, romesco? Injury miso sauce. Were these things you were using in your cooking classes? Yeah. Like, yes, you should pack these up and sell them. So literally, I mean, the Romesco, there's a recipe for Romesco in my cookbook that I published in 2017, a chimichurri, like they're in there. They're all kind of in there, you know? And I was like, here's the recipe. And people were like, yeah, can you just make them? So (laughs) we were like, okay, you know? So yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, you have to to professionalize some of this stuff for, you know, mass production, right. um, even small batch mass production, you're so, not allowed to right, use garlic and things like that. Yeah. How did you mm-hmm. figure that out? Because it's one thing to have cooking classes, <laughs> mixing a bunch of stuff together, yeah. you know, then you clean it up at the end of the day. It's another to make something that shelf stable, um, you know, repeatable, tastes the same right. in large formats versus in your kitchen. I mean, like, how did you figure that yeah. out? Well, um, it took a while and we didn't get to shelf stable. We got to six months of refrigerated shelf life through a process called high pressure pasteurization, which is what juice companies have been using for years to give themselves, you know, a couple of months instead of three days. So I, you know, we were at the time, I think we actually still are the only company in the United States (laughs) making high pressure pasteurized sauces um, because there was no supply chain. So it took me a little while to learn, you know, Cornell is very helpful They're, You know, they have a really amazing sort of like food safety department. They're the ones who validate the high pressure pasteurization. They're the ones who will tell you it needs to be this acid level, this water activity level, all of that. Sure. Um, so it took, it took a minute. It took around nine months um, for us to kind of understand that process. 
we at that time, you know, we made one batch by ourselves and then sent it to an HPP facility in New Jersey and then sent it back. I mean, tears crying, (laughs) not good. Um, Then we found a co-packer and then we were able to find another co-packer who was really able to do it, you know, at scale. Um, But, you know, these, I'm, I'm an older founder, I guess, you know, at the time I was in my mid forties, I guess. And, you know, I don't have that appetite for, I would prefer not to stay up at night hoping that I don't make a product that makes someone unwell. Let's put it that way. So I err on the side of caution. Um, as I think anyone putting food out into the world should, which is surprisingly rare. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I won't. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, as I mentioned before, we hit record. I've met a lot of founders, and not all of them are, are thinking that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah, what could go wrong? Well, right. a lot. Yeah, a lot. Um, okay, I, and so y- you made a decision on packaging as well. Um, mm-hmm. Did you know that you were going to do the packaging like you you have it now in the pouch versus yeah, say glass or or PET or whatnot? Like, how did you? Yeah. I mean, there were two, there were two things that, that one is, you know, my background is in sustainability and the idea of putting a consumer packaged good into the world that is just part of the problem more than the solution was like offensive to me. So I am making a product and it is packaged, but like I can say confidently it is using less fuel to ship it is producing fewer emissions i've you know i set up something with TerraCycle. so if you do want to make okay. sure it's turned into playground equipment or a dock you mm-hmm. can be a hundred percent sure glass does not it's very heavy it causes a lot of problems in the food system and like heavier plastic bottles which seems to be like Oh, current or whatever the expression right. is, are really bad for the environment. And so I wasn't going to make a product that wasn't in a pouch. The yeah. second piece of it was just from a, you know, my whole mission in life has been to get more people to cook from scratch because it's fun for them, but primarily because it's good for the planet. And the way that you get, and this is where having five kids comes in handy, the way that you get people to do something is not by saying, you should really do this because it's good for the planet. The way you get people to do something is you make it fun and you make it creative and you give them a squeezy pouch of something that looks kindergarten thing paint and you say, go play with your food and like, you're going to have a great time. So my mom is an artist she has these oil paints like in these pouches and i was just sitting talking to her in her studio one day like playing and squeezing and like like, i had this thought like maybe i'm a painter you know maybe maybe i have this like painter living inside of me because i want to play with these things and then i was like no, I actually have zero creative ability at all, but it's the packaging that's making me feel Got that it. spark of maybe I'm, so I thought maybe people will think like, maybe there's a chef inside of me, you know, <laughs> and and I'll just want to play with this stuff. So it was both, but um, I, it started off very much about sustainability. 
Yeah, I like on the I like the packaging because you see the colors of what's inside. I don't know, it's, it's got yeah. a lot, it does have creativity to it. Um, what about okay? So you you sort through figuring out how, you know nine months figuring out packaging, mm-hmm. and once you got a good package, were you only selling it out of you know in your location? In other words, people come in for classes and oh, by the way, you can buy the sauces on the way out. Or, or no, you, my you no, retail, yeah, not to retail right away. Yeah, I mean, I have sort of a rule, uh, you know, it's not if you build it, they will come. It's like, if you have someone to come, then build it, basically. (laughs) So I wasn't going to make it without a customer. We went to the fancy food show to see if this was viable for retail, because I knew consumers would like it, but I wasn't sure if yeah, retailers retail. would. Yep. Um, by the way, that's still an Achilles heel. We still don't really have a set or a home in the store. People are still like, what's this thing in a pouch called chimichurri? Um, right. You know, we still are sort of like educating consumers and customers about that. But no, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have, a, you know, a commitment from Whole Foods and um, sure. and extract. And then does the packaging limit you on the shelf? Because as you just said, so category buyers in retail, mm-hmm. grocery are used to buying things that come in packs of six or eight and they're, you know, like stackable or, you know, like I'll, I'll say in some other types of packaging, has that limited you or is it more of just an education process for those category buyers? No, I mean, I'd say to the first part, you know, we come in a case pack, we come in shelf ready corrugate, you rip off the top. It's actually super, super easy. Um, I don't think that has been the challenge. I think the natural channel understands this product, understands, you know, we're high velocity and high rings. So we're basically like a dream. We're basket building (laughs) day in, day out. Right. So the natural channel really gets at our, our, I think where we have, you know, we were on real momentum before COVID because conventional grocers, every single one of them, if you read their 2019 strategic plan, they were all like, we know that people want perimeter of the store. We want, they, they want global flavors. They want meal solutions. We're going to invest in building that infrastructure, you know, whether it's building more refrigerated space or just like rethinking about the planograms and the way that the sets are you know, sort of categorized. Um, and, and that was definitely like the, the way things were going. And then I think everyone just got whacked, obviously, with the global pandemic. And aside from just strategic plans being thrown out the window and everyone just trying to keep sanitizer and rice on the shelf and toilet paper, <laughs> um, Rice. You know, building new refrigeration and having, a, you know, having a real sort of brass tacks, what's yeah. our fresh strategy when you don't even have labor to execute resets right. definitely got sort of deprioritized. Yeah. So it's coming. I mean, they're all talking about it again. I think when the economy stabilizes, when the labor market stabilizes, when supply chain stabilizes. But in the meantime, we're going to launch a shelf-stable product that has a home that no one has to do much thinking about, and, right. and we'll see what happens there. That's awesome. Six flavors, at least that's what uh, you guys have mm-hmm. out today, including edamame green goddess, ginger miso sauce, herby, chimichurri, chimichurri mm-hmm. <laughs> coconut cat. You can sauce. say it however you want, Justin. Yeah. I mean, I, you it know, tastes good. I, 
I, I'm not. I'm going to say this because this is so dumb. Earlier today, when I was preparing, like going through all my notes for the discussion, I did say Herbie accidentally. I mean, I know it's Herbie, but like I did anyway. It's, um, like I was like, oh my god, I, if I said that when we we're recording, that'd be terrible. And now I just did. Um, so, <laughs> what are your top sellers? And what yeah. are any of them that you've been like, yeah, that didn't really work? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, again, like I if I mean, I think part of the part of this job is like you know, knowing you dance and then you want to leave before the music stops, you know, and, and <laughs> right. you don't want to be like the person in the room that's like, wait, where'd everyone go? You know? So <laughs> I definitely have discontinued SKUs. Um, I give them, you know, they, I love them, but they're not my children and they, they don't deserve to live on if there's nobody buying them. So right. You know, one of the things that I got really well trained for having a brick and mortar retail place before I had a CPG company was, you know, we would have these muffins, let's say, and there would be four people who were obsessed with the muffins, but they never quite sold out by the end of the day. It's very easy to keep those things going because those four people are loud or they're VIPs or they're meaningful right. or, you know, they really, really love that muffin. Um but it's not a great business decision, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, they're going to your question, the chimichurri, definitely the winner, you know, in the high 20s in terms of percentage of sales. Ginger miso is like a family favorite because it's like, you know, you'd have to buy miso and ginger and soy sauce and sesame oil and, you know, all of these different ingredients to just make this marinade sauce dressing. Um, so that's number two, the golden tahini, I think is just really, really beautiful. And tahini is definitely sort of picking up speed with sort of the consumer. Sure. Those are definitely top three. And then everyone else kind of rotates. The Romesco is, is like, again, it has like, it's diehard fans who will write me very angry letters if we ever do discontinue <laughs> it. I was going to say that was the one that would be my top. Personally, yeah, I mean, it's delicious. My, my flavor profile, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, a lot of people have no idea what it is and what to do with it. <laughs> um, but the people that do and the people that use, I mean, we have you know 500 recipes on our website and uh, videos and shopping lists, and you can text yourself shopping lists while you're in store. So, people who use our content all of a sudden, Romesco is like incredibly versatile, and it's it just adds this like really savory roasted red pepper flavor to everything. Um, but I think it's a little intimidating for people just coming into the brand. Got it. Makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So exciting. And in terms of looking ahead, you've mentioned new packaging and whatnot. Is that going to be fully new packaging or an additional package in addition to what you have? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Um, so the fresh line is staying exactly where it is and growing. Um, we're still, you know, pedal to the metal on growth there with the right retailers. Got it. That is that line is staying. We're expanding it. We're innovating right now, which is really fun. Um, it will stay in the slanted pouch. You know, it, there'll be a couple tweaks just to the to the way that the brand looks on the pouch, but staying the same. And then we're launching a separate line of um, a shelf stable product line that isn't 
at all competitive it's actually totally accretive to to the fresh line but they'll live in mayo Got it. um so they are same, same flavors or different? yeah different flavors different flavors but same you know better for you provide inspiration and lots of big bold global flavor got it yeah we need to I like, I like your packaging. I want your logo to be a little bigger, but. Oh, that's it, Justin. That's the thing. I was that um, foundry founder who was like, no, we're a humble brand. Our logo should be small. And everyone was like, Mm -hmm. okay, chief. And then basically (laughs) after five years, everyone's like, listen, you got to make the brand bigger I'm, and the flavor cool. smaller. Haven's Kitchen. This yeah. is cool. It sounds I interesting. I want to know. I want to be a part of it. The HK looks amazing. Like, man, I want to see that that yeah. dot and be like, oh, there it is. I see it. On yeah, the- I know. It's happening. Everyone's like, you don't lead with the flavor, ding <laughs> dong. You lead with the brand. And it just took me like five years to finally hear it. So oh, that's going to be rolling out onto shelves soon. Oh my You'll God. See How about that? We didn't even yeah. talk about that before we hit record, but. Uh, you're an expert yeah i love it um i'm I'm not an expert i'm just one but one opinion um you know you you mentioned earlier you've built a team uh when you did the cafe obviously you've built a team now around product Mm -hmm. ashley is on ashley without an e uh who runs content (laughs) who's listening in in the background you guys haven't met her yet but um but like how have you thought about that you know how did you decide i need to bring someone on to do you know detail or i need to bring you know how have you thought about that over time well my first hire is now our head of marketing she was actually my buyer at fresh direct and i called her one day Courtney with, with some I Courtney with Courtney with an IE exactly um I called her and I was like the distributor is using all of these acronyms and jargon that I don't understand and you speak the language of retail and she was like I do and I was like I don't know what the job is but like I need you to come here um and she did she loved the brand she loved the product she you know thank goodness liked me and came over pretty much the minute. I mean, I think we had had like six months in in the market. Um, So she was there. And then it took me a while to hire an in-house like operations expert, but I basically, you know, persuaded, fortunately, um, Keely, who's our head of ops, to come over from Kodiak Cakes. She had co-packer experience, innovation experience. She was just a a fantastic operator, Um, incredible project management, just like everything that we really needed because we were just... You know, we had outsourced and and they were they were wonderful. They were very helpful, but it just we got to the size and the scale that we just did in house yeah, expertise. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then it took me a while to find the right sales, you know, team structure, etc. But we hired Matt last year, who um, or I guess at the beginning of this year, um, Matt just Mercer? industry. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I know him. That's so funny. I didn't even realize. Yeah industry veteran been there but like super willing to like get hands dirty loves the entrepreneurial brand loves you know just you know the whole he could easily be doing something at a bigger company and he's just not that interested in that at this point so got really lucky with those three functions and then you know within those functions we have just amazing people ashley without any included (laughs) <laughs> because content is 
is, um, you know, content for us isn't a way to sell our product. Content for us is part of our product because we're here to make all aspects of home cooking more fun and more creative. And that means how do I sharpen my knives and do I need eight pans and why are my herbs turning brown when I've just bought them home from the grocery store? Because all of those things are important to giving home cooks that confidence and creativity. And then we have this product that just like seals the deal. Got it. So it's all for us, it's all part of the same goal. Well, I love that, Allison. Yeah. And the for those listening, and I always talk about the, you know, the the importance of your industry and the small world that it is and the network and relationships you can leverage. I worked with Matt Merson at Coca-Cola. So it's so mm. funny. Um when he was at, at Glasso and then Yeah. He, anyway, well, uh, that's so funny. I did not realize he was working with you guys. So funny. Yeah. Um He's I love doing a bang up job. <laughs> that's so cool. Small world. <laughs> um Man, and this is just, I mean, you never know. This, people, this is why it's so fun hosting this podcast. I, it, It's just, it's so much fun. Um, I love to ask yes. our guests some of the biggest lessons learned. Um, you've, you've now been at this 12 plus years in different parts of the business. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to our show. You know, when you talk to other entrepreneurs and they say, Allison, what is your advice? What should I be pr- focused on and prioritizing? What are your one or two things you'd share with them? I think, you know, first of all, from a product perspective, um, my number one piece of advice is be very, very clear on, you know, who you are serving and what their problems are. There have been just, I think, an inordinate number of products that have come into the market. You know, it's never been easier, as they said, for whatever the last, you know, 10 years um, that didn't really have a problem that we're solving. They were maybe a prettier package of something that already existed or, you know, even less than that. So I think it's really, really important to make sure that you are solving a problem all the time. Every single thing that we do ladders up to what's the problem we're solving? Who has that problem? How are we speaking to them about that problem? And making sure that our product actually solves it for them. Right. And that's like when it goes back to content, we know that, let's say, you know, it's something like 82% of consumers plan on cooking more now that they kind of have gotten over those, you know, skill humps from COVID, but they need inspiration. They need healthier options. They need global flavors. They need help in the kitchen. So we now know our why. Our why is just because we want to help these people feel better about cooking so that they do it more often. And now we can take that and sort of divide it into like, is this product or service or, you know, piece of content actually helping people with that problem? So I think it's important to spend a lot of time doing that. I think the other mistake that a lot of people make early on is they just assume that things are going to get easier as they get bigger. That is a massive fallacy. It's like little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Things get more complicated. Some things maybe smooth out a little bit because you can afford the type of talent that you need, but they get more difficult. Margins don't just automatically improve because you get bigger. Um, So those are the two things sort of on the business side. I would say on the leadership side, something that I've really learned is you know, we start everyone's onboarding with them writing what we call a user guide, 
Everyone on our team has the user guide. It's basically, here are things that you might do that might annoy me. Here are things that I will likely do that will annoy you. Here's how to handle me if I'm annoyed. Um, it forces you to really think about the way that you, not necessarily because you intend to bother other people, but it, it automatically, like, no matter what, we all bother other people at some point or another. Um, so at least having some self-awareness around that and, and recognizing it and also letting people know, like in my case, you know, something happened today in our team meeting where on the weekend, I was just really excited about God knows what. And I was just like <laughs> hurling things into the Slack channel just so it, it lived in some place. And I remember someone on the team in their user guide very early on was like, if I see Slack starting to populate over the weekend by either my manager or by Allie, I get nervous that like they're expecting me to respond. So, you know, me as a leader, my whole thing is like, I now know that. I know the power that I have that maybe me putting something, even I don't expect them to respond to it, but putting it in there might give them a little bit of agita. Sure. So knowing that and everyone being upfront about it and everyone saying, these are sort of like the my little ticks that I have. This is how I get when I get nervous. This is how I get when I get sad. Um, it's incredibly useful. I would say that everyone should do it. And especially founders, you know, we have this weird, I think, you know, kind of crazy thing that we think we're going to make something and just bring something out of zero into the world that's going to make it better. There has to be a little bit of ego there that's just... You just have to be super careful about it. That's fair. Great advice. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think any leader can take the advice about the weekend Slack and email, right? Yeah, for <laughs> I mean, sure. And if you're going to do it, just let people know. Yeah. Right. Or, or what I do with my team is I say, listen, I'm kind of always online, but you do not need to reply. I will text you or call you. Right. That urgent, but yes, it's just getting something out off the plate because of travel or whatever else, you know? Anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think, Justin, I mean, I'm sure you agree. You'd be surprised at how many founders don't even think, how's this going to land? They don't think about that but because right. either running fast or, um, you right. know, quite frankly, not thinking about the team or all kinds of other reasons. Yep. Um, Allie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you like Allie or Allison? I like both. You okay. can call me Allie. Now, now that we're like at the end of the interview, like you would be like, now that we're best friends, something good to yeah. clarify that. I'll call you Allie. Um, <laughs> hey, before we go, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, buy product, check out product, etc., and, and also your podcast. Oh yes, okay. So for product store locator, all of our recipe inspiration, all of that fun stuff, havenskitchen.com. For um, my musings about all things CPG <laughs> and some random thoughts of mine. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn. It's my only social media, if you can call it that, that I personally have. 
Um, the podcast is called In the Sauce. I've been doing it since 2018 after our first purchase order where I laid on the floor of the incubator kitchen hysterical. <laughs> um, and I've interviewed, you know, everyone from like our IP lawyer to our, you know, Whole Foods buyer to, you know, all sorts of everyone. Um, super brass tacks, not how I built this, but like how on earth am I going to build this? It's um, available anywhere where you get your um, podcasts. Yes, content. I love it. Allie, this has been incredible. Um, you got to come back on. Excited for you where you're going. You got product. I mean, like, I feel like it's just, you know, you're growing. You've got stores you're not in today. So you got mm-hmm. growth there. You've got new product coming in, new part of the store, growth. Um, and you can add on. Like, I, we didn't talk about, like, what's, you know, there's opportunities to go outside of just sauce, right? I mean, the food world. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's got to be an exciting Anything day. that helps home cooks feel uh, more confident and more creative in the kitchen. That's yeah. our mandate. I can't wait mm-hmm. to see that logo just a little bigger, too. <laughs> you will. Next so month. <laughs> hey, it's so good having you on. you got to come back on, please, uh, down the road and really look forward to following your growth and progress. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional ContenderCast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.